morning, everybody. And I want to say good morning to our Hope family in Mount Laurel. Uh, they're going to be hearing the message that I'm giving at 9 o'clock in Voorhees at their 10.30 service. And uh, so the reason for that is we're starting a new series, a five-week series that I'm excited about and I think is important for our whole community uh, together. And so as I begin, as we begin this new series, I wanted the opportunity to speak to the whole church. Um, and the only practical way to do that is through a video recording that will be shared in Mount Laurel. So good morning, Mount Laurel folks. There's going to be a moment where uh, later in the message we're going to be reading uh, a scripture together. And I'm going to encourage you in Mount Laurel to uh, read it out loud even as we'll be reading it out loud here. So that was a powerful video, huh? It spoke of a time in our country in the late 1960s and into the early 1970s when it became the norm in the summertime that riots, racially charged riots, were breaking out in our cities. And Dr. King was, was lamenting that. I have a personal kind of connection to that. In 1970, I was 13 years old, and the town right next door to my town, I grew up in Neptune, the town next door was Asbury Park, is Asbury Park, and in July of 1970, a riot broke out in Asbury Park, and it raged for seven days. Many, pieces, many properties were destroyed, businesses were burned, people were hurt. At that same time in our history, there were protests going on in towns and cities and on college campuses around the country against the war in Vietnam. And I remember as a 13-year-old boy wondering what was happening to my country. Was there even going to be a country? Because there were those prophets of doom who back then were saying that our country is so broken that the American experiment is over and we're going to tear ourselves apart. That's how they dealt with their fears. On another end of the spectrum, people who were fearful of that time were saying, America, love it or leave it which in effect is a, a version of sit down and shut up or get out. But fortunately, there were people like Martin Luther King Jr. and so many more. He was a prominent voice, but there were so many more voices that were rejecting the idea that America's day was done and rejecting the idea that we're not going to deal with our problems but who rolled up their sleeves and said, let's get to work. And what King and others did so masterfully was to remind the country of the founding principles upon which this country was being built. Because on those things we can all agree. And so Dr. King reminded us that we're a country that believes that all people are created equal. That all of us were endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Among them, life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. That we're a country that was built on the premise of law and not a monarch. That we would be a country based on laws and that everyone had equal access to justice and that justice would be blind to things like race and gender, economic status. And so King and others reminded us of these principles upon which we were built. King also, because he was a pastor, spoke to the church and spoke to Christians and reminded us of Jesus who taught us to love one another, to love our neighbor, even when our neighbor doesn't look like us or sound like us or think like us, we're to love our neighbor. And even when our neighbor is our enemy, Jesus called us to love. King reminded the church of that. And when we remembered the things that we shared in common, we could then go to work on the things that divided us. Abraham Lincoln, a hundred years earlier, did a similar thing, right? He said that the country was better together than divided. That there were founding principles upon which this country was built that even in this time of great conflict, we could be united around. It's in times of great conflict that people need to be reminded of the principles that join us together. Because there have always been and there will always be conflict. There will always be disagreements. But the question is, what unites us? What joins us together? So a year or so ago, um, in anticipation of the <clears throat> general conference of the Methodist Church uh, coming together for a special general conference, the issue uh, that was going to be discussed was human sexuality and specifically how the church was going to be in uh, relationship with people uh, who are gay and lesbian and transgendered. And knowing that this was going to be a time of great conflict in the church, our lead team here at Hope commissioned me and a member of their team, Randy Peterson, to try to put together a document about things that are founding principles, principles upon which this church is built. And so over several months, we worked on that document and um, ultimately kind of put it together and it was received and accepted by the lead team. Um, and it's been shared widely, so it's not a new thing. It's been out for about a year. Um, five Principles of Community. You have a copy of it, I think, in your program, and you can take a look at that. That's what the series is going to be. We're going to go through each of those things and talk about what those mean to us here at Hope Church. Because conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. Every church is in conflict. 
at some level or another, people are in disagreement over any number of things. You know, the Methodist Church, this it's not like we were all singing kumbaya and getting along great up until this one issue. There have been divisions, deep divisions within the denomination for decades, just like every other denomination, and just like every local church. We all disagree on any number of things, theological, biblical, practical. There are disagreements. And sometimes it just takes that one issue that that becomes a lightning rod. And I think that's what happened in this case with our denomination. And so it's important that we understand the things that join us together, that we share in common, so that we can go through times of conflict in ways that honor God. And so that's what we're going to be doing uh, in this series. One of the things I've learned, I've been in church leadership now for over three decades. I am an old dude. I've been around a long time in positions of leadership. And one of the things that I have come to clarity about is this, and this is the way I would describe it. It is incredibly difficult to build, help, uh, to build a spiritually and relationally healthy church. It's incredibly difficult to do that. And it's surprisingly easy to tear one apart. It's incredibly difficult to build, and it's surprisingly easy to tear it apart. To build a spiritually and relationally healthy church means that a whole lot of individuals are going to have to say, I'm going to do the right thing in the right way for the right reason. And no matter what happens, I'm going to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. And I'm going to do that with other people. That's what it takes to build a spiritually and relationally healthy church. To tear one down, all it takes is somebody who chooses to gossip or someone who chooses to speak to someone with harsh words in harsh ways, not caring about how they feel or what they think or where they've come from. They're incredibly easy, surprisingly easy to tear apart. One of the joys and one of the miracles of the past 29 years here at Hope is that we have been able, against great odds, with Satan himself working against the success of any church, to build what I believe is a spiritually and relationally healthy church. And I'm committed, as I hope you are, to seeing this church continue to thrive. Amen? Good, because if, if I get silence, then it's a whole different message. So we, you've got uh, for you the five. This morning, I'm, we're going to be looking at unity, I'm talking about unity. 
What is our unity and why does it matter? And one, throughout the New Testament, unity is a theme, an important theme. Uh, another word for it is oneness. And so it was so important to Jesus that at the Last Supper, one of the last things he said to his followers before he was arrested and crucified was to pray about and talk about the importance of unity. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. But before that, if you go all the way back to the beginning of time, all the way back to creation, oneness was a theme. God created a human being and said, that's not good that this person would be alone. And so God created another human being, Adam and Eve. And he gave them a job. You're going to tend to the garden. You're going to oversee the garden and so forth. But he gave them a mandate as well, that you will become one. The two will become one. That it's not two individuals working at cross purposes and so forth, that they're going to have to figure out how to work together as one. Now, those of you who are married know how difficult that really is, right? That's hard to do because we are different. We come from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different points of view, different histories, different understandings, and there's a thousand things that we can disagree on from, you know, the proper way to extract toothpaste from a tube. There's a right way, right? To how you parent children, to what it looks like to express love. Thousands of things that we can disagree with in our marriages. And so we need to be about something beyond those disagreements. That's why in the marriage ceremony, we give people um, a call to oneness in essence. Two people make a promise to each other. The promise that I made to Marilyn was I will love you and honor you, care for you, and keep you no matter what happens, sickness, health, wealth, poverty, forsaking all others, I'll be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. That's the promise I made. And so when we get in times of conflict and difficulty and disagreement and so forth, I have to be reminded, she has to be reminded, I made a commitment, a promise. Beyond this conflict, beyond this thing that we're disagreeing about, that I'm going to express love for you and care for you. I'm going to try and comfort you. I'm staying right here and we're going to have to work it out it's an essential basic unity and because it's so hard it doesn't always work out and that's when divorce happens and it's never best it may be the lesser of two uh, hard things when a relationship is so toxic that people are doing damage to each other. 
but it's still a renting apart, a ripping apart of the oneness. And it's always painful for the people involved, for the families involved. No one, almost no one, I've talked to maybe a handful and with fingers left over of people who went into their marriage saying, I figured we'd probably end up divorced. That's so rare. People don't go into marriage thinking they're going to end up divorced. The goal, the ideal, is that we're going to stay together. We're going to work through whatever comes our way to build a oneness. So if it's hard for two people to do that, imagine how hard it is for 200 people to do that, or 500, or 800, or 1,000. It's really difficult because now you don't have two points of view, two opinions. You have hundreds of them that threaten to pull people apart. So, why does it matter? Why is it so important? Why was it important to Jesus that we have unity because it really did matter to him. So for that, I want to look at that prayer that I was talking about just a moment ago. It's from um, the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter. By the way, just another little adage here. Unity in the church is never about uniformity. Our unity is never about uniformity. We're never all going to look and sound and think and act the same because it never happened from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of the church in Acts. And sometimes we think that there were two groups. There were the Jews and the Gentiles, like those were two monolithic groups, and they weren't. There were all kinds of different Jews with all kinds of different understandings and expressions of Judaism. There were all kinds of Gentiles and expressions of faith and understanding of God and so forth that come under this broad heading of Gentile. And so you put these two very broad, very diverse individual groups together as one, and you've got the church. And it was messy then, even like it's messy now. So anyway, that was... The diversity is not... Our, our unity is not uniformity. That's good. You ought to write that down. There's even a slide. Can you, did you throw that slide up? Was it up there? Take a picture of that. All right. So here's what it says. Here's Jesus. Jesus is now praying, right? It's the Last Supper. Jesus is praying. He's into his prayer. He's... he's partway through his prayer, and then he says this, I am not praying only for those disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Who's he praying for? Us. Not just for the ones around the table, but for anybody who's going to come to me because of the message. 
He's praying for us. So here's what Jesus prays for us. I pray that they, that we, will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to start that one again. Verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them. You are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as you love me. Jesus isn't saying, let's just all get along when it comes to unity. Jesus is saying, this is a deeply spiritual aspect of our faith, this unity, this oneness, that we would be so unified with each other that it would be a reflection of the unity that God, the Father, and Son experience together. And that through that oneness, that as it's growing in its expression more and more perfect, that when the world looks at us, they will see that God surely sent Jesus into the world and that we'll experience God's love in a profound way. I mean, this is powerful stuff, right? And yet, so often, we walk away from each other so cavalierly because of some small offense or disagreement or some large offense or disagreement. That we walk away from the unity and we miss out on the blessing of working through difficult things and finding a oneness and an intimacy that Jesus prayed that we would experience 2,000 years ago. That's what's at stake when it comes to unity, to this oneness. So what's our oneness based on? You know, what are we one around? What, are, what is the core to it? Just like King spoke about, you know, what, what's the core thing for, for the U.S. and looked at founding documents. What is our oneness built on? Paul addressed this because he understood the prayer that Jesus prayed. So in Ephesians... Chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wrote this. May, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Make what? Every effort. This isn't, you know, well, you know, I, I just don't like it. Doesn't work for me. This is you make an effort. 
Invest in this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there, now here it comes, here comes the litany of the things that we are united around. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. What are we united around? One faith, one Lord, one God, one body, one hope. These are the things that unite us. These are the founding principles. These are the core to what it means to be the church. There's a bunch of stuff that we are going to disagree on. You may not like the way that I dress. Right? There are literally people who, because, um, you know, there's a more casual look here, can't stay. If the pastor's not in a robe or a suit, I can't be here, right? Is that core, really? That's a preference. Churches are tearing themselves apart over things like musical styles. All kinds of things that we divide ourselves over. But what's core? It's right there. So that's what's core. You know, it's a good thing to review, good thing to remind ourselves about. What is it that unites us? We are about this one faith, one Lord, one God and Father who is over all, in all, living through all. It's good stuff. So you have a job here. You know, this is all theoretical, and you're going like, okay, all right. I'm cool with how you dress, Jeff. I guess I'm good. <laughs> or not. I don't know. Um, so what's your job? Because ultimately, it's about me and you and decisions that we make about how I'm going to live into community. And so Paul gave us some great insight and direction on that. So same chapter, but going back to the beginning of that chapter, the fourth chapter uh, of the book of Ephesians, verses 1 through 3, this is what he said. Therefore, as a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you, Lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Paul is literally in prison begging the church to do this, to live this kind of life. All right? 
So now it's your turn to read because it's about you and how you conduct yourself in the community. Again, core things of how you're going to conduct yourself within the context of the community. So I want us to read that together. Mount Laurel, you guys, want you to read this uh, out loud together as well. So beginning with verse 2, it starts with, Always be humble and gentle. Oh. Be what? Humble and gentle. Okay. Which means, really, look to the interest of others, not just to your own interests. In the way that you think and in the way that you act. Humble is how you think. Gentle is how you act. Okay? Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. Be patient with each other. What? Patient. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I keep interrupting, but, you know, my job and all. All right. Uh, be patient with each other. Why? Because of your love. Making allowances for each other's faults. Anybody here faultless? So I need to make allowances for you, right? Because you're a mess, right? And guess what? I need you to make allowances for me because I'm a mess. I wish the worst thing about me was how I dressed. All right. And how do we do that? We do that out of love, okay? By the way, if you're married... This is a great passage for you to read in the context of your marriage. So I was reading this in my uh, times of preparation and meditation. I was thinking about this in terms of my marriage as well. Right? Okay. Where are we? Verse 3. Make every effort. Make every effort to keep yourselves united. Unity. Oneness. It happens not by accident. It happens when you and you and you and you and you and you and, you and I make decisions about how I'm going to live in community. And all the more so in times of conflict. Because it's in times of conflict that my character is exposed and formed. The Lord wants to bless us through our unity. The Lord wants to teach us deep truths about who we are in him and how deeply he loves us through the expressions that happen in the context of community. And as we go through it, doing the right thing in the right way for the right reasons, over a 
extended period of time, we experience tremendous blessing. So we're going to share in a time of communion. And this is such a powerful symbol for us, right? There is one body, one Lord, one God, one hope for all.